Miracles, part four. If you're a note taker, just stick that moniker on there. Over the years, I have noticed um, a trend in the church um, regarding the manifest power of God. Now, I have been in the church, the saved group of people, um, and I'm not casting aspersions by saying this, post-Catholicism, I have been in the church since I was 15 years old. I'll be 55 this summer. You do the math. Okay? So I have a little bit of a track record, and I have a little bit of a, a uh, amount of time in which I have seen things, and I have seen that there is a trend over all these years. I have seen this uh, regarding the church um, of Jesus Christ and the manifest power of God and the manifestation of the miraculous. I have seen a trend. I have only read about and heard about uh, exceptions to this trend. Never seen this. Okay, I'm just going to be honest with you. You read about it in faraway places or gigantic massive churches or some, some place where there's great persecution or some such thing, and I have, I have uh, never seen this occur. As a matter of fact, there's one church over... Uh, situated uh, smack in, in, in Seoul, Korea, that lives the way that I have never seen. Okay? It's a massive church. As a matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, it's the largest single church on, on the planet, and I think it's the largest single church in all of history, human history. Um, modern believers, modern believers, and by modern, remember, I'm talking about since I've been 15 years old, and that's still modern. I'm not that old. Thank you. Modern believers have been trained by modern pulpits uh, for decades that have a tendency of treating things like miracles and the manifest power of God as exclusively for in-house use. Everybody follow that? The power of God manifesting in an in-house way, manifestations that are intended to stay in the church walls, that's this trend that I've seen, that the church seems to think that um, the miraculous power of God was intended to stay here. That's the trend. Um, and that good church, as we call it, we, man, we had good church. Now, what was it? Was it Ryland, who went home and told you Friday night, you posted that on Facebook. I only heard about it. I don't, I'm not, something about that was good church. That's what he said. Ryland said, man, that was good church. Well, good church is measured by how long the altar call lasted despite the fact that there was a conspicuous absence of lost, broken, and hurting people in the altars. Um, and we look at the miraculous power, the manifest power of God in this way, instead of how the power of God in the form of signs, wonders, and miracles was actually intended for. We, we look at miracles as something that happens only in the body of Christ, within the four walls, and how we look at really good church as how we, the church, get blessed, but there's no one there who's needing fixing. Does everybody get that? Now, this is just a trend that I've seen. 
the lost and broken individual that needs the message of salvation and a power of God to manifest and restore them, they're the exception to the rule. They're the fish that just got caught up in the net as it was drugged forward to the altar. And, and I've got people looking at me like I've just crawled out from under a rock. This is, I'm just telling you, this is the trend that I've seen. Okay? This is just the trend that I've seen. See, the intention for what the power of God is in the form of signs and wonders and miracles, and we all know this because I went over it for three weeks before we had this hiatus from this subject matter. It's for the, the accompanying of the preaching of the gospel by believers so as to confirm the word of God. Right? Now, listen, if you need a miracle, uh, God still does that. And you're a part of the body of Christ. God still does that. I mean, he just does. I think we've got a whole bunch of testimonies that could suggest that very thing. But in reality, when Jesus was made manifest, what occurred was he came preaching the gospel and performing the miraculous. And people, if you will read your Bible, people came by the droves by the countless to him because their Jewish leaders could not make those things happen. And let's be honest, when people need to be touched by God, whether it be they need to have the burden of their sin lifted and removed, whether it be their body is somehow one way, shape, or form broken or needing of healing, whether it is someone is possessed by an unclean spirit. Guys, those are real life needs that religion simply cannot address. They need Jesus. They need the power of Almighty God to touch their lives. And what I have found... And please don't think I'm trying to be a big Debbie Downer here, okay? I'm, I'm really not. I'm just wanting to address the body of Christ today, this part of it. The church, in adopting the philosophy that the miraculous and the supernatural is to stay within the confines of the church walls, what that has done, well, one of the things that that has done is that has caused the church itself to be drained of its own rightful power by virtue of the Holy Spirit. By not doing the plan of God, by not going outside to win the lost, instead staying inside the church, we've ended up. Losing our own power. And let me be frank. Despite the fact that my name is Michael, let me be frank. Who here wants to go into the, 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 the fields, white and ready for harvest, to try to win the lost and reap in the harvest for the Lord when you're powerless. 
Who wants to do that? We'll start a line right here. I fear that that is our difficulty. That is the challenge we face. This is the trend that I have seen. And I promise you this much, it is not, I'm not just talking about our body. I promise you. I think that on another vein, much of the problem stems from the fact that there is a fundamental misunderstanding about who Jesus was actually preaching to in the four Gospels. I think that a lot of people believe that all of the miracles performed in the Gospels were performed in the lives of church-going believers. Hence, our tendency, because of that misconception, our tendency toward keeping the power of God inside of our four walls, when in reality, the people that we read about in the four Gospels weren't believers at all. How many did did I just shock? When Jesus was made manifest, he began preaching within the the boundaries of Israel. How many born-again believers were in Israel when he found himself there? About as many, because of his cousin John... About as many as could fill a teacup. They were Jews. They were people that were entrenched in Judaism, and in large part, they were led by corrupt leaders interested not in God, but rather in their own status and well being. That's the theater that Jesus entered when he became flesh. The people we read about in the New Testament were not Christians. They weren't, but deeply religious Jews who were just as lost as any modern sinner that you can think of. Pick one out of your life. Pick yourself out of your life. They were just lost. They were doing the only thing they know to do. They were following Judaism. They were following Moses. Why? Because they were Jews. That's what Jews did. But God came and messed everything up by introducing the theanthropic man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, who said, God is not at a distance. God is not far away. God is near. The kingdom of God is near. And then as he preached this, he went about performing supernatural acts to prove to them what he was saying was true. Why is that important? Simple. Do you know how many Jesuses there had been? How many people had come through there preaching this, preaching that, preaching another thing? There have been a lot of them. As a matter of fact, in the book of Acts, we we find one religious leader standing up and saying, if this stuff isn't true, just leave him alone. If it's not true, it'll die out all by itself. You know why he said that? It had happened before. The problem is, is that this stuff was true. 
he was showing what it was that he was saying. He was performing the miraculous to lost people. Their eyes were being opened. They're looking at their religious leaders and saying, they're not doing this. They can't do this. This guy over here, he's preaching with authority. That doesn't mean Jesus was loud. It didn't mean that Jesus was just passionate. It meant when he spoke that the kingdom of God was near. When he spoke, you can be healed, delivered, and saved. He would turn around, heal, deliver, and save folk. That's the authority. So, these Jews were getting a fresh infusion of God truth into their lives. You know, it's funny. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 24 says something here. This is not a text. This is a passing, glancing blow. To basically prove what I'm saying to you is true, in Matthew 15, 24, Jesus said this. Just to let you know that what I'm saying about these people weren't Christians, they were Jews, religious, lost Jews. He said this, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. He said that. I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus came to change the paradigm of the day for Judaism from Judaism to the kingdom of God. And miracles accompanied the preaching of the gospel as to prove that the things that were being preached were true. I'm going to say that a hundred times if I say it once. This was in stark contrast to what the priests and other religious leaders were offering. Now, as I've said earlier already, do church folk have miracles occur in their lives? How many church folk here have had a miracle in their life at one time or another? Just raise your hand and keep it up. Everybody look around. If church folk don't get miracles performed in their lives, what are these hands doing up? That's the same thing. What you just did right there is the same thing as folk telling us that our, our uh, doctrine of speaking in tongues and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not for today. I'm sorry. What are you going to do with us? Because we can prove you wrong. That's, there's a problem there with that theory. And so if you've had a miracle and you had, your hand was raised, and you're going, yeah, I've seen God do it. How many of you, whether you raised your hand already or not, how many of you have seen a miracle happen in somebody else's life? Raise your hand. God performs miracles in his children's lives. He does it. He does it all the time. Miracles in, junction, in conjunction with the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ are God's way of showing how deeply he loves the world. And along the way, his children get touched by the finger of God as well. That's just how it works. However, I fear that this error is deeply entrenched in the church, that it's not meant for outside. Guys, how in the world are we ever going to save the lost of this world? How are we ever going to win? The, how are we ever going to bring in the harvest if they don't see the power of God that you are professing? How are we ever going to convince them? Because as I've said before, I will say it again, Christianity without the power of God through salvation and the manifest power of the Holy Spirit is just another religion in the catalog of religion in the marketplace of this world. 
It's just another. Believe this. No, believe that. No, let's go over here and believe something else. Well, I've got something better than all three of those. Let's believe that. Well, all of a sudden you say, well, this is what God says through his son, Jesus Christ, and the manifest power of the Holy Spirit. And then you start demonstrating it. You've just walked out of the catalog. You've left the marketplace. And you're all by yourself with a massive following going, I want Jesus. But until the church does that, we have the same credibility as any other religion in the world. We just happen to have some really cool holidays attached to ours. Okay, is everybody getting this? Is everybody understanding what I'm saying here? I really, I really believe that God wants us to be something more than just people who attend church and who say, I'm saved, therefore I'm okay. Christianity is more than that. I think it's important for us to understand that the presence of the supernatural, there's a couple things I'd like to address this morning before I let everybody go, and I'm going to really try to get out of here by the top of the hour. Um, notice my verbiage. I said, try. I am making absolutely zero promises this morning. Okay? I would like to promise you, but I, I would fail. And then I have to pray about being a liar. And God would have to shrink my nose. I think it's important. One of the things I want to cover with you this morning is to understand that the presence of the supernatural, the presence of miraculous signs... Now hear me well, listen, just focus in for just a moment and get this, are not a guarantee that just because someone is performing the supernatural and the miraculous, hear me, it's not a guarantee that all is well with them. Okay? It's really important to grasp that, that just because supernatural things are happening through a person, that doesn't make everything hunky-dory in that person's life. Let's look at Matthew chapter 25 for just a moment. We're going to look specifically at verses 31 through 46. Well, I guess that's the entire story. So I guess we're going to look at 31 through 46. Let me pare it down because we are, we are on, on tight time. We all know the, 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 the story of the sheep and the goats. That uh, Verse 31 just says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will, listen to this word, separate. Yep. See that? He will separate the people one from another. And as we find out, there's going to be exactly two groups. He's going to separate the people one from another. Now, now look at this. He says, as a shepherd duh, uh, separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Now, we know how this goes. Um, if, you're, if you don't know how this goes and you're not familiar with this text... Just keep this text in mind. Write it down on something there in the pew, not on the pew. I frown on that. Um, 
the same way I frown on gum under the book holders and under the pew, and, I, and fingernail clippings uh, around the air. I frown on all of that, okay? So just know that. Um, I frown on those things. So don't write on the pew. If you have a pocket knife, don't scribe it on the pew. You can't take the pew home with you to remember where it is. This year. Write it on something. Even if you borrow a pen, write it on your hand. If you're a heavy sweater, backside of your hand. Okay? Just do that. Matthew chapter 25, 31 through 46. We know how this goes. The ones on the right, the sheep that we call sheep. Remember, the shepherd separates the people as sheep from goats. The ones on the right, he says, man, you guys did great. Because when I was in prison, you came and visited me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me, etc., etc. And they're all sitting around going, when did we do that to you? He said, when you did it to the least. You did that. You see, those sheep possess a character trait. They possess a trait that looks like they're Jesus. Okay? And so they went about doing these things. On the left, however, we have our goats. And while they're there, he says, now you guys, you you all didn't do so good, and you're going to have to just depart from me because when... when you saw me in all these situations, you did not come. Well, when, 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 when did we do that? He said, when, when you ignored the least of these, you ignored me. You, you did not. And so we get that. Now, here's my question. Here's the question. How does that happen? Look at me, everybody. I want you to, to, to not just listen to my words. I want you to think about this. How does that happen? Goats thinking they're sheep, doing things that look like sheep stuff. But in reality, it's nothing more than goat stuff. How does that happen? Doing things that fall, now listen, fall under the scope of kingdom, but isn't. In Matthew seven fifteen through 23, we're going to jump there so that we can tack on to the Matthew 25 reference, we read that sheep are sheep and goats are goats based on their fruit. Let's look at 17, uh, Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. Inwardly, they're ferocious wolves. Okay. How dull do we have to be to miss a wolf and think it's a sheep. Wow. How blind are we when we think sheep or when we think wolves are sheep? We're going there. Hang on. But their fruit will be recognized uh, will recognize, uh, recognize them by their fruit. Do people pick up grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad you hear that cannot. A good tree, not will not. It cannot. It's fundamentally impossible. And a bad tree, the Bible says, cannot fundamentally impossible bear good fruit. You can't do it. Now, keep that in mind because we're just about to drop into some scripture that's going to be interesting. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into fire. Thus, by their fruit, you'll recognize them. Now, listen, this is it. 
Remember, good fruit can't bear bad fruit, or good trees. Bad trees can't bear good fruit. Now listen, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22, many who say to me, many who say to me, on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not. Now, doesn't this stuff sound great? Listen. This stuff is awesome. As Pentecostals, we dig this stuff right here. We are all about this stuff. In your name, did we not prophesy? Oh, Shundai. Hallelujah. Let's all get a little jerk right now, if it's not going to hurt your neck. Just jerk a little. It's okay. Did we not prophesy? Mm, Hallelujah. And in your name, didn't we drive out demons? Oh, we love in that action right there. church today i drove out a demon i know i know it was hard at first but you know he just succumbed to the power of god come on trey do some do some salsa for me come on betty do some salsa for me Yeah, I'm going to go get my tray from the buffet line now. No, I'd like to sign autographs, but it'll have to wait. We love this stuff. Didn't we perform many miracles? Didn't we do all this stuff, Lord? Didn't we do that, Lord? And the Bible, Jesus says, listen listen to this verbiage if you've never picked this up. Then I will tell them. Where does that set him up? He sets himself on the throne. And he's saying, then I will tell them. I never knew you. Away from me. And then he he encapsulates it, you evildoers. And yet they're prophesying, casting out devils, and doing miracles, signs and wonders. And yet he says, I'm going to tell those people... Despite they identify me as Lord, I'm telling them you're an evildoer. Depart from me. According to this text in the Sermon on the Mount, you can actually operate in the supernatural without bearing good fruit. In other words, a person, listen, can look like a sheep when they're really a goat. They can look like a sheep when they're a goat. Did we not do this, that, and the other in your name? Listen, now here's a fact. You you might as well just warm up to this. His name works and carries authority whether one's heart and motives are pure or not. Because it's his name. Why is it that we human beings are one of the only th- the only thing that rarely accepts and recognizes his name and bows down to it automatically when water stops throwing fits at his name 
when rocks can be turned into bread at His name, when axe heads can float and swim at His name, when taxes can be pulled out of a fish's mouth at His name, everything reacts to His name, but the church tends to be too slow to pick up that He said, in my name. And we walk around and we don't react and respond and then appropriate His name. Body parts respond to the name. Interestingly, while the goats in Matthew chapters 7 and 25, the two places we just read, were running around prophesying, driving out devils and performing miracles, oblivious to the things that really matter to God. The sheep, the sheep were producing good fruit without all the fanfare. They were visiting, feeding, clothing, getting drinks. They were doing Matthew 25 kinds of stuff. The reason these miraculous manifestations in Matthew 7 and 22 didn't measure up then and they won't measure up now is because the people performing them, this is deep theology, so you might want to get ready, are goats. They're not sheep. The exact same manifestations that the goats in our passage claimed are among the very same things that are supposed to accompany sheep as part of the Great Commission. The very same things. The difference and the subsequent problem is that those things carry zero influence when performed by goats. Because while goats were claiming to have performed these signs and wonders, the criteria at judgment isn't the criteria at judgment isn't how many demons did you cast out and how many prophecies did you give? That's not the criteria. In this passage, the criteria is were you compassionate? In other words, were you like the Jesus you profess? Nowhere, nowhere, nowhere are signs and wonders listed as a criteria for aligning with God's will. Only acts of compassion in keeping with the character and nature of Christ. You say, Michael, but you've been preaching that as a result of preaching God's word, miracles happen. Yes, but it's not a criteria for judgment. You see, you're not performing the miracles. You're the one who's preaching the gospel. You make the decision to preach the gospel. He makes the decision to come down and manifest himself in power. That's why miracles are not a criteria for judgment. Compassion is. Everybody following? Okay. Just wanted to make sure. You can cast out all the demons that you can lay your hands on. 
You can prophesy every time your mouth opens up if you'd like. You can perform as many miracles as you can make manifest. But in quoting another reference, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, to be precise, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels but do not have love, I am a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. Miracles are an indication, an indication of the love of God. That's all a miracle is, brothers and sisters. If you spread the good news, the signs will, will, they will follow you and they will confirm the word. Nobody in this house but Darren King believed that. I'm telling you right now, I'm going to be honest with you, this problem that the church has is deeper and bigger than we think. Because I'm going to be frank with you this morning as your pastor. Most of you do not believe what I just said. You do not believe it. That if you will step outside these walls and you begin preaching God's word to the people and the sphere that you touch, the Lord's power will manifest himself. And most of you do not believe that. You know why you don't? It's never happened before. I'm not here to be ugly or to beat up anybody. That's not my purpose. That's ridiculous. My purpose is to speak the truth in love to you. That's what I'm here for. But we don't believe that God's power is going to manifest himself through us. And what's funny is when it does, this is hilarious. I love this. Have you ever seen someone who's been in somewhere where they're praying for somebody and all of a sudden God manifests himself and they're crying as hard as the person who had something happen to them by God? Because, oh my God, God showed up. I just can't believe it. That's the problem. You can't believe it. That's exactly the problem. We should walk up to sick people and lost people and watch God do what he does. If they receive, they receive. If they don't, they don't. We should walk in. We should lay hands on. They should recover if, they're belie- if they believe. And we should walk out saying, that's day at the office. I'm sorry. You think I'm wrong? How do you think some of these churches around the world who have believers by the countless thousands are making congregations like that. Why? Because the guy's that good of a preacher? Not. Uh Uh-uh. I'm sorry. There is every imaginable seminar, webinar, uh, workshop, and the like on how to build a church. I've already told you this once before, several weeks ago. I will tell you again. There is one model to build a church, and it is where the church gets out and does the things that the Great Commission and the Lord Jesus Christ says. And when signs follow, let me tell you, you can't help but build a church because the people you touch want more Jesus. I'm sorry, that's it. We may need more parking. We may need more this, that, and the other. Okay, fine, but that's not how you grow a church. You grow a church by showing God to be real. Another reason is because of the inherent differences between sheep and goats. How many of you know there's a difference between sheep and goats? That's why Matthew chapter 25 and verse 32 uses the word separate, as a shepherd separates. You know, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Sheep, the sheep need a leader. Sheep need a shepherd. Because as a breed, sheep are followers. As a species, 
Sheep are followers. They flock. They also, according to God's word, they recognize the shepherd's voice. They follow the shepherd's lead. Now, I will say this. It is a known fact that sheep, as a species, are not the brightest bulb in the pack. They aren't. That's why the shepherd has to leave the 99, you know, that story. But they want to be where he is. Goats, on the other hand, besides eating everything and anything, edible or not, which is a really good sermon point, by the way, um, they're wanderers. They like, not to quote Fleetwood Mac, but they like to go their own way. Everybody under the age of 40 did not laugh. That's hilarious to me. And they go their own way without the apparent need for a shepherd. No regard for a shepherd. They'll do what they want. Goats do many of the exact same things that sheep do, but they do them on their own without a shepherd's guidance and without a shepherd's oversight. Due in part to these similarities, these two species, between these two species, we can see why Matthew 13 in the parable of the wheat and the tares, we're told that the, two will not only, uh, that the two will not be separated until the end of time. Wheat and tares, remember what it says there, the servant asked him, do you want, to go, do you want us to go and pull them up? Talking about the wheat from the tares from the wheat. He said, no, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. So you've got these bad things growing alongside these good things. And in the wisdom of the Father, he says, no, don't pull them up. Because believe it or not, now we have to personify wheat, okay, as people now. Wheat might recognize, might think that those tares are actually who they are too. And if you jerk them up out of the ground, we're going to lose some wheat. How is it that we mistake wolves for sheep? How is it we don't get tares rooted up until the end of time? Why doesn't God eliminate them? Because we think wolves are sheep. We think wheat are tares and we think goats are sheep. I'm thinking we lack a little discernment in the church. But that's another subject matter. And I'm already in hot enough water this morning. He finishes Matthew 13, 28 through 30. Let both grow together until the harvest. Our problem, now listen to me careful. Our problem, oh man, I'm about to be a liar, is that we can't imagine. The reason is it's almost noon. I need to get that on the CD because I'm about to say something and I don't want people listening on the podcast or to see these things. I'm going to say this, but I'm a liar. I don't want that. But it's almost noon and you're still out or you're still here. Our problem is that we can't imagine. Now think about your status as a child of God. We can't imagine that someone who looks so good as to do the things in Matthew's Gospels Well, didn't we prophesy, cast out demons? Didn't we perform miracles? We can't imagine that someone who looks so good and who does such wonderful things could possibly be a ferocious wolf 
or a tree that produces bad fruit. We can't imagine that who we are interpreting and her we're perceiving as sheep are actually goats. And because of that, because we can't bring ourselves to imagine that, all right, I'm coming back to it, or better yet, because we can't discern that, we have spent precious time, effort, and energy picking thistles from thorn bushes, all the while thinking we're getting grapes from vines and figs from trees. And all the while, God's intent for the church and a large part of our purpose on earth goes unfulfilled. Why? Because just because they're doing the supernatural, the stuff Jesus told us to do, we think they're us when in reality they're nothing more than a ferocious wolf. They're nothing more than a goat. They're a thistle and they're a thorn. But we don't discern that. But in the Word of God, it says it's truth. And we grow side by side with them all along because we cannot possibly discern the idea that that person is of the devil. You said, Michael, give me a break. You gave me one scripture reference in Matthew that people doing the miraculous, the stuff that we're supposed to be doing, you gave me one scripture reference showing that there's going to be some that do that and aren't of God. Oh, really? You remember when Moses showed up before Pharaoh? Started performing some miracles? What did Pharaoh's magicians do? The exact same things. Let me tell you, folks. Is there a reason why God says we should be, listen, as wise as serpents? And as harmless as doves? Instead, I'm afraid, and I'm going to offend a whole bunch of you, and I don't mean to, but it's just what I... Instead, we interpret that scripture as we should be as dumb as dirt and as harmless as doves. Philippians 1 and 15 through 18. Paul mentions that at the time he was writing Philippians, there were those who actually preached Christ with impure motives in the hopes of causing him trouble. Listen to this, 15 through 18. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former (laughs) preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. That puts a twist on the wheat and the tares. By a support, way of supporting the thought that I just presented to you, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the theme that I'm presenting here, that not everybody who's doing these miraculous supernatural things are not from the Lord. I want you to think about what I'm about to tell you. Judas Iscariot was called to be a disciple. He accompanied Jesus for over three years 
saw and experienced everything that the other 11 did, was among the 12 when they were sent out, having been given power over unclean spirits in Mark chapter 6. And he may have and probably was among the 72 that were sent out in Luke chapter 10 as well, only to turn around and be called the son of perdition in John 17, having made a deal to betray Jesus to the Sanhedrin, committed suicide as a result, and was condemned to eternal hellfire forever. And he was one of the twelve. The Word tells us that while we are being as harmless as doves, that we need to be as wise as serpents. First John. I'm going to have to not finish this sermon. I can see that. First John chapter 4. Dear friends, this is beginning in verse 1, all the way through verse 6. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. If you've got your Bible open and you can actually write in it, jot that. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Got it? Get it? But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one um, who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. I've got to hurry. Let's exercise some wisdom with respect to the supernatural and be the source of God's power instead of demanding it. Amen? Amen. Okay. I have another page. And I'm going to stop right now. Because it's noon, it's hot, we've got tired people, I can see eyes drooping. Uh, I'm hoping that's not because I'm just on a wholesale level boring. Um, I'm hoping that's not the case, but we're going to stop right now. We may or may not pick this up next week. We shall see what the Spirit of the Lord has to say about that matter. Can we stand?